Well, friends, this, uh, most of you would know this uh, Sunday is about this chapter two restoration, but um, actually need, need to start with the story, then work my way back toward chapter two restoration. So see if you can track with an old Aggie about this, uh, the way his mind works on this. After my junior and high school and senior uh, years of high school, I worked for a man named Kenny Walters in his one-man modern home supply shop. He sold mostly paint. He sold wallpaper and some other items for homes, mostly paint. But he hired me for that first summer after my junior year, which is rare for him to have somebody else in the office, in the store with him. And so he taught me the ropes a little bit. One of the things was that um, we were always mixing paint, different colors and all. And back then they had this apparatus to mix the paint cans. It had two big arms like this. On each arm, there was a platform you'd put a can on, then you would tighten down a, a top on that, and then they would violently rotate. You see where this is going? And the key was when you tighten down, you, that you don't want to crimp the can, but you don't want to let the can go flying either. So I'm in today too, and I don't crimp the can, but <laughs> I don't keep the can from flying. And it is oil-based paint. If you know anything about paint, like water-based paint, you can clean up decently. Oil-based all over the floor, walls, product, everything. And Kenny Walters had this idea that I would learn best if I cleaned up the mess that I made. And so I cleaned up the mess that I made, and then it happened again. This has been 50 years back, so I don't know how soon it was, but it seemed like it was pretty quick. And then the third time, he said, have you ever considered going to A&M? I said, why? He said, I think you'd make a really good Aggie. And I was still like this, I thought, you know. And even today, I don't know why he said that, <laughs> which tells you more about me as well. I would work the second summer there, and toward the end of the summer, Kenny Walters took his first vacation he had taken in years. He took his family for an entire week, and he left the store with me. Every single thing, the, the customer sales piece of it, the ordering product piece of it, the bookkeeping piece of it, the cleaning up the messes I made piece of it, the depositing sums of money beyond what I had ever handled in my whole life. Like I did every single thing Kenny, Kenny Walters did, every single thing he did. But never once did I consider myself to be the owner of the store. Like the whole time I realized I was managing the store for Kenny Walters. I was crystal clear on that. So this is where we're going today. We've been in this series, What We Bleed. And this is one thing that we, we bleed, but we long to bleed better and more conclusively in. This one says that we are managers, not owners. Followers of Jesus should be effective and efficient stewards of all God gives them, understanding that he owns it all. We're managers, not owners. God owns it all. It is so countercultural to us, isn't it? So very much so. I tend to think that that's my house, that's my car. In one level, it is legally, isn't it? I was looking at my house the other day, and I thought, you know, the day's going to come. Some, someone else will live in that house, won't it? I mean, 100 years from now, I will not be living in that house. I'm being a lot better house, but that will not be my house. We tend to think that the things in our possession, that they are ours, but... But if we tend to think that, then we do what we want with them because that's what owners do. If you own it, you do what you want. If you're a manager, you do what the owner wants instead, don't you? So there's this profound truth. I'll give you some scriptures around it that say that God actually owns everything. Everything that you might think you own, I might think I own, he owns everything. Before I give you the scriptures, I'll say this. The impact, when you and I get this, 
It gives a peace and contentment regardless of the financial circumstances you find yourself in. If you find yourself in a season of rapidly rising inflation, a time of stock markets and bond markets falling, a time of cryptocurrency falling, a time of potential recession, questions about jobs. If you find yourself in any of those or worse than those, there's this stunning place you find yourself in of peace and contentment because you don't own it, God owns it. And you're managing it for him. There's this huge outcome for us. And a lot of you have experienced, a lot of you know it. Some of you know it somewhat. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. But, but this is the outcome of, of getting this one right, of understanding that God owns it, that we don't. So here are a few passages out of many I could have chosen. The first is Genesis 2.15. It says that the Lord placed the man, which was Adam, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. This is the first human being, and he placed him in the garden. He didn't say, this is now your garden, did he? He said, I placed you so you could tend and watch over. You're managing the garden for me, Adam. And then Eve was soon to be created, and she would co-manage with him in the garden. I mean, that's how it all began for our human race. Haggai 2.8. The, the people of God are building the temple for the second time. And in the midst of their building it and needing resources, then this is what God says to them. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Like they're, they're over there weighing the gold and silver and thinking, like, how much do I give toward his temple? How much do I think I want to keep for myself? How much do I want to give? And God's saying, hey, wait a minute. To begin with, it's all mine. It's all mine. And would you let me tell you what to keep, what to give? It's all mine. And don't you know they were thinking, but I worked so hard for it. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. This is God speaking. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Every single thing in creation is God's. When I first began to wrestle with this, I, I couldn't get over for a while the idea how hard I'd worked. Some of you can, are thinking the same thing, or your experience is you've worked really hard. I, I found myself reading 1 Chronicles 29, 14, somewhere in that season. And this is when the very first temple was being built. This is what David would say to God when God was saying, the gold, the silver you have, this is what I want you to give to my temple. David would say, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. We give you only what you first gave us. This is what I've learned. Everything we have comes from ability and opportunity given us by God. Every single thing you have has come from ability and opportunity given to you by God. Did you work hard for it? I hope so. I mean, that's his intent. You would work very hard for it. Can you guys see me? My glasses are foggy. There's a bunch of foggy people out there. Okay, now you're much clearer. I need to go back to my optometrist and get a better pair of these, I guess. So, so have you been there before? Of uh, thinking that because I worked so hard, surely it's mine. And God's saying, yeah, I'm glad you worked hard. That's part of the deal. But I gave you the abilities. I gave you the opportunity to earn what you have now. And so I want to just touch on briefly then, uh, building upon this deal that God says he owns it all, is what he says to do about it. And so I taught on this in February. I'm going to compress, condense a bunch of it. In essence, uh, this is what God says about money. There are only three things you can do. It's very simple. You can give, you can save, you can spend. I guess you can burn it. 
But <laughs> if you want to burn it, just hand it over to us and we'll take care of it for you. You can give, save, spend. And then this is God on giving. There's a lot about saving and we've talked about that before. This is about giving. This is what, what God says on giving. Again, I'm going to condense this. I've taught it so many times, including recently. God says to give generously. First of all, give generously. And then he shocks us by saying that generosity begins with 10%. And that is a mind blower. If you've never heard that or wrestled with that or begun to do that, it says give generously and begins at 10%. Give cheerfully. He says, if you're going to give it without a cheerful heart about doing it, just don't give it. He says, I want your heart first and then I want the resources. And then he says, give sacrificially. Uh, David would say, I will not give that for which I have sacrificed anything at all. He says, give sacrificially. So this is what God promises. Again, this is all, this is what God promises when we give as he directs. When we take the money that is his, that he's given us access to, when we give as he directs, this is what he promises. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. God's saying, it's all mine. And I'm letting you do what you want with most of it, but I've asked you for the tithe and you've not given it, so you're cheating me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. And then it goes on and then specifically for them, he talks about these great crops and everything that they'll have, all this uh, uh, financial abundance. And that was for them. The part about God will bless like if we, if we do what God says with money, as we give as he says with money, then he will bless us. And I'll give you a New Testament connection to this. But in essence, he says, if you trust me with this, I will become engaged in your finances. He says, if you don't trust me, you're on your own. Right, good luck. Oh, inflation. I saw that coming, but you didn't see it coming. <laughs> Stock market. I saw it coming, you know. You're on your own. He says, if you will just simply do what I say, if you know that I'm the owner, you do as the owner says, then I will become deeply engaged in your finances. And Paul would write about this. Philippians 4.19, he would say, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul was saying, if, if you and I follow him, and this part specifically about me, if we follow him, do what he says about money, then he says, I will give you everything that you need. You will always have everything you need because I will become involved in your financial world. So Marie and I have been through a bunch of seasons of this. Uh, we began to follow Jesus um, 38 years back and pretty quickly God I mean, really pierced my mind and my heart about money in, in a, a life altering way and did the same with Marie and everything. And so we lived for a time in that mode, like this is God's, in this lucrative corporate world. And then I shifted from there to a zero income seminary student. Radical shift and just trusting God. Thank God, you know what you're doing. You said you'd be involved in our finances. We went to this zero income seminary student. We were a little ways into it and I really began to get a little uncomfortable because this is just a lot of trust. And I'm used to seeing it, counting it. Knowing it's there a lot. So, so I was out one Sunday morning early. I was running just as it became daylight through the small downtown area of Wilmore, Kentucky, where we lived, where seminary was. And this old downtown area, something catches my eye. 
I go over to it, and it's this $20 bill. And so I've just been in the midst of with God saying, how is this going to work? I'm not comfortable. I have no peace about this. You, you promise you're involved. And all of a sudden, there's a $20 bill. Guys, I've found quarters before and dimes. I never found a 20 before. And so I'm thinking, like God's just saying, hey, Rick, I, I've got you on this. And I do think he was saying that. So I ran to the edge of town. I ran back. And I'm going through the same area, a little more light now. And there's this car driving really slowly. And I'd watch too many, like, Cops movies, and I thought, oh, no, not supposed to happen in a small town. In fact, the, the water tower uh, in the town has a cross on it because it was a seminary town. And the lying comment about the town was there was no sin within the city limits. If that was true when we got there, it wasn't true after we got there. It just, uh, but it was that kind of town. So there's this car going really slowly. I think, oh, no. And I kind of glance back, and there's several people in it. I haven't looked closely. And, and then the guy has the window rolled down. And he says, did you find some money? And I'm thinking, did they see me pick that up when I was running through town? I thought, there's no one around. I'm not going to let go of this. And I said, well, he said, we lost some. I said, how much? He said, a $20 bill. There was a nanosecond. I almost kept the $20 bill. There was that brief moment, and then I realized it was theirs. And, and I, I sensed God was saying, I... I told you I'd be fully engaged. I gave you 20. Now I'm telling you to give it to somebody else. Just do it. Just do it. And I gave it to that person. I've never forgotten that $20 bill because God said, I can give you as much as I want and I can pass it through your hands as much as I want to to where I want it to go. I can do that for you. By the way, the, the people in that car, there were two adults and there were a number of kids and they looked like they had been through financial wreckage. Like they, they actually could use the 20 that they had lost then. If we use money as God directs, he will engage deeply in our finances. Now, I've been so blessed to be a pastor of, of another church at a time and now pastor at the harbor as well. And uh, my, Marie and I have a very comfortable, modest three-bedroom, two-bath home. Marie's created the Garden of Eden in the backyard. I mean, God has blessed us immensely, immensely. But in every single season, when the bank account seemed like it was going to zero and when the bank account seemed to be flush, We've actually known like, peace and contentment and joy. And that's just reality. When we were in seminary, I've told a little about it. We had this small house. You could plug the vacuum cleaner in one place, vacuum the whole house. I don't know if I told you, though. We, you could. We never had to unplug it. Just plug it in there. You get the whole house. But then in our bedroom, for me to get to my side of the bed, I could only walk sideways like this because I couldn't walk. There wasn't enough room. Marie had the luxury. She could walk this way, walk to her but that's the size of the house. And I, we loved that house and that season of years as much as any house we've ever had. But if it hadn't been this mindset that, God, we're following you every step of the way, would I have felt that way? No. I would have been thinking, you know, what do, what do friends think about my life? I'm no good. I don't make money. I'm a loser. Never crossed my mind. Man, I'm, I'm following God best. We are following God best. We know how to do that. The best is we simply know how. We are managers, not owners. Followers of Jesus should be effective and efficient stewards of all God gives them, understanding that he owns it all. The bank account, the investment accounts, the house, the car or cars, the toys, the lake homes, everybody, he owns it all, guys. And he's right, isn't he? Are, are we going to accuse him of not knowing what he's talking? He owns it all. 
And he's saying, you're managers of every single bit of it. Why do we teach this now? We're on the verge of chapter two restoration. There've been previous times in the Harvard's life where we've raised funds just like this. The first time was when we bought this land for a million dollars and we raised funds just the very same way. Second time was when we built the first building, first phase, we raised funds the same way. We grew too fast, we had to build a phase two, we raised more funds and then we owed debts, so we had to raise more funds to pay off more debt. And every single one of those, there have been some people right here at the harbor that have never trusted God until then. It was in that very season that they heard some message like this and they thought, maybe, maybe God's really got it. And I'm gonna step out, hey, it's a trial deal. This, is, this one's 18 months, the others were three years, 18 months. Hey, like, what can I lose? Every single time. And, and I've taught so many times about money and giving apart from that, but somehow when there's this focus on something like this, you know, we're all together in this campaign. People in inordinate numbers have said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a shot with God. I'm gonna trust this is his. I'm gonna trust that I should do, can do what he says with money and he'll become involved in all of my finances. So this is the restoration plan that we're about. And if you were here three weeks back, then you'll recognize a lot of this, but the background behind it is from before day one of the church, and we've had this passion for every single person to come to know and follow Jesus with abandon and find forgiveness and life and fullness of life and eternal life. We've been this passion for every single person. It's been our passion that we would create a place where there aren't a bunch of barriers people trip over before they ever actually encounter Jesus. We call it a single barrier environment. The lone barrier we want them to encounter is Jesus' demand upon their life. So every single time we saw a barrier, we'd try to blow it down so it wouldn't keep them from encountering Jesus. And so that's part of what we're about right now. We, we've had, in the past, we've had two seasons where there have been just floods of people who come through for the first time. Two seasons of that. The first was when we first opened the church. Enormous number of people came to, to check us out the first time. This flood of newcomers week after week after week. Second season was when we built the first building here Man, we, we doubled the people attending. It seemed overnight they came in floods here. And we're about to experience the third time because Jeff Manis is about to become our sole senior pastor. And come kickoff of fall, there's going to be this flood of people because you've gotten to know Jeff. You've gotten to hear his teaching. You're going to invite like crazy. And this is the season in our world here. This is the season where people will consider coming, not just for Easter or Christmas and that's it. They'll consider a lifestyle change. They've been thinking, I want to improve my life. And you're inviting them to this church and they're going to come in droves. When they come, we want there to be a single barrier they encounter, the barrier of Jesus claim upon their lives. We only get this one chance for a first impression with them. We know that when they come, we know the most important thing, don't miss what I'm saying now, guys. The most important thing is that this person would experience the presence of God. I can't tell you the times that someone has caught me after a service and said, hey, pastor, my first time here. Um, and I say, how was your experience? And they say, it was good, good. But then they said, but there's something, something different I sense. And I know it's the presence of God. And the God, God's presence is here for everyone. Not everyone will sense that. Not everyone will be open in a tomb. But these people were just open enough. They don't even know what it is yet. But it's the presence of God that's the most important thing they'll experience here. The second will be the, the love and warmth of our people. Some of you are parkers in here, right? Some of you are greeters in here. 
and then you and me in here, the warmth and love of God's people here, when they're sitting here, they'll, they'll experience profound, intimate worship. They'll experience life-changing, biblical teaching. The children down the hallway will experience uh, an encounter with Christ down there. That's what they will encounter, but they also will experience our facility for the very first time. And there's this passage in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, that's very insightful about people that don't know God. The passage says, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we know the Lord looks at the heart and we know the heart is what matters, but we also know that pre-Jesus, pre-God, people tend to look at the outside appearance. And there are a bunch of folks would walk in today and they would notice the condition of our facilities. Not that it's bad, it's just been 16 years without anything to maintain it, upgrade and change it. It's been 16 years without something new that can further spark spiritual growth among children and among adults in this room. It's been 16 years of that. And so the, the intent here is to, to make sure that as people come, we've blown down every barrier we can, even the barrier of them coming in and thinking, man, this place is getting old and doesn't look that good. And maybe what's inside isn't very important either because the outside doesn't look that great in, in the lobby ways and everything. Every single barrier we can, including the barrier of condition of our facility. And so some of you weren't here three weeks back. So this is what we intend to do, some pictures of it. First picture is this uh, uh, outdoor uh, city, sitting area with the new kids entrance on that, that side of the building on down the, hall, down the hallway here, that side. Second is a picture of the lobby area, new flooring, new colors, uh, I mean, clear messaging on it of restore, refuel, return, the harbor waves at the top. Give you a closer view on this side. This will have our vision, the restore, refuel, return actually spelled out for people. It'll say we're about uh, you know, one life at a time being changed. There's, on the other side, there's a storyboard that we'll have that will, people can see what God is currently doing, what he's about in this place. They'll go down the hallway, down past the kids' area, down by the office entrance, that whole new lobby will be changed as well. New flooring, new walls, new messaging as well there, uh, all the way down the hallway. Kids' area, the wall you're looking at in the back is a magnet wall kids will have to engage with, play with, for teachers to use in teaching. Up on the wall on the left, you'll see um, water and boats with the harbor imagery and that in it. And then this, this is a current picture of the playground that we would intend to build there. I gave you a, a prototype uh, of it last time. But if you're looking in the room through the, through the hole where the guy in the white t-shirt is, that would be looking out the double doors into the hallway. Does that make sense? Okay, so you're cat a corner in the room there looking across there. That would be built for kids there. So that'd be for the kids. And that would be for when they come before they actually, like the, the messaging starts, for them to be engaged and playing, for them to go home with their parents and say, bring me back. Man, I love the playtime, and man, maybe I heard something good too. Yeah, bring me back to it. So that'll be for our kids. And then in the worship center, then we would um, purchase this uh, video uh, wall. You can see an image from Easter that we use there that can create all kinds of imagery. I've thought about how creative our God is. I am so stirred by moving out into his creation. So when we come in here and they're just walls, when you put up something like that for me, it, it touches my soul. Right, just, just this little glimpse of the creativity of God when that's being used here to impact uh, adults and students in this room then. Uh, by the way, the um, 
playground, it'll be in Harbor Colors. We hadn't got all that worked out then, but it'll all be in the Harbor Color Scheme. So all of that will be done. Uh, lobbies, hallways, children's worship center, all that will be done. Outdoor uh, picnic area as well. The total cost for that is $930,000. And we would fund that by you and me giving above and beyond what we currently give to the harbor. What Marie and I currently give to the harbor, we would commit to give something above and beyond. We would commit to give it over the next 18 months. In essence, from today, June 26th, all the way to December 31st, 2023, 18 months. Some of you have already given, I think, understand, but that certainly counts too. But that would be over an 18-month period. And so what we've been asking you to do as harbor people is be praying. Like asking, ask God, be asking God, how much would he have you give over the 18 months above and beyond to fund this work for chapter two restoration? Marie and I are all in. You know, we've been all in from the first one for the land and the second one for the building and the third for the expansion of the building and the fourth for debt and the fifth for debt, the sixth for debt. We're all in for this one as well. I mean, I see social security like, coming at me 60 miles an hour. Doesn't matter. We are all in all over again. What you have is not yours. You're managing it for God. What you have is God's. And the question to God is, God, how much of what you own that I have management over do you want me to give to this cause here? Easy way to give. Um, there's a card and envelope for, uh, on the floor for people if you choose to go that route. If you're in the risers, there's some ushers that will, uh, if you raise your hand, they'll give you a card and envelope you can secure. There's also, there's a QR card code we'll give you. You can hold, hold your phone up to that and uh, do this electronically as well. But I'd like to leave you with one very simple thought. Back, this was 50 years ago, I, I had finished my week of managing everything at Modern Home Supply that Kenny Walters owned. I finished that entire week. I did it well. The paint I spilled was all cleaned up when he came back. It was all done. All the dollars were in the bank. All the orders were made. It was all done well. I don't recall if he gave me any kind of bonus. I know I got my dollar thirty an hour that I earned. I know I got that. But you know what I remember? His well done. Fifty years later, I can still see his eyes saying, well done. And Marie and I, Man, when we see God face to face, what we long for is to hear his well done. They'll echo through all of eternity. Father in heaven, um, you do own it all. You've been so good, so gracious to Marie and me and to, I started to say most everyone here, I'm sure everyone here, you've been good and gracious. So Father, I pray that uh, we all would be giving you space and letting you speak about what you want us to do with your money to give toward this cause, Father. So Father, we, we create spaces at church not to do this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.